I would draw your attention this morning to the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, creator of all things, creator of heaven, creator of earth, of all that has life and breath, Lord, we bow before you, we worship you here this morning. Lord, as we look to your word, we pray that you would just show us your glory. Lord, show us your power. Lord, may we behold it and may we fall before you in praise and adoration. May we see you as you are. And see us as mere creatures who owe our all to our Creator and our God. Be with those who aren't here with us this morning, Lord. I pray that whatever the reason they were unable to be here, that you would make your presence known with them, Lord. That you would draw them to uh, meditate upon your word. Draw them to your word, Lord. It's the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, we have an enormous problem in our world, don't we? It's no wonder that we have this problem as we begin in to, to dig into the opening pages of God's self-revelation to mankind here in Genesis. We will get to this, if God wills, as we move through the opening chapters of his word. But here briefly we will mention this, as we often do, since it's one of those foundational truths of Scripture that we are led to proclaim and we must proclaim. That mankind has fallen in sin. It's rebelled against the Creator God who is sovereign over all things. In this fall, man has set himself in opposition to God, pitted himself against his very maker. But let me state for the record here this morning that not for one moment has mankind left religion behind. 
but has become, as it were, a religion unto himself. He's a man worshiper. He's an idolater, worshiping false god or false gods of his own making and after his own desires. And all of this in opposition to the one God of Scripture. It's no wonder, I will add briefly, that God himself has opened the pages of his revelation of himself to mankind. Within the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We could spend a lot of time going over and over the different facets and the different types of false religion which mankind adheres to and the various ways in which it portrays idolatry and false worship and lies. I was tempted to do this this morning during this message but it quickly dawned on me that there's no better way to oppose those things than to declare, to declare the truths of God as he has revealed it. We'll mention some of them, I'm sure, as we go forward in this study of Genesis, at least the first part of Genesis. But what I will say is that we have an enormous problem that we have in the world, but it's been amplified in our current time as it has in, in various times in the past by the lack of adherence to the word in the professing church, in its ministers, in its teachers, its seminaries, and as a result of this, in its professing members. They don't speak with the authority of God's revelation. They don't speak with the authority of God's word. They test all things not by the word of God, but by man's perceptions, by man's desires, by anti-Christian scientists and their theories, when all along what they should be doing is testing all of those things by God's word. They have it backwards. God's word his revealed truth in Scripture is our standard. They have removed in large degree the foundation for truth, the foundation of wisdom and discernment, and they've fallen victim to a need for the praise of sinful man, desiring to have man's applause, man's congratulation, man's approval. They're scared of being labeled as anti-science. I uh, had a conversation with a guy not too long ago that was getting ready to teach a Sunday school class, and he won't teach a literal six-day creation. because he doesn't want people to reject God because it doesn't meet with what science says is true. We'll get into this later. 
but those who do this lift high man's learning, man's achievements, man's abilities, man's discoveries, when what they should be doing and what they should be saying is what is man? As David said in that psalm that we read earlier. Psalm 8, 3 through 4. When I look at your heavens, David said, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you, God, you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? Many in the professing church are seeking to fight against some of the issues that we see in the world. They're terrible issues. They're terrible problems that we have in the world. But many times the professing church is seeking to fight against these things without holding to the foundations that build up a truthful understanding of what actually even causes these issues. The foundations which are laid out for us right here in the opening portions of Genesis. Some of these people, some of you who will know who I'm talking about here, some of these people have said that we should unhitch from the Old Testament. Don't worry about the Old Testament, just love Jesus. Some have called the opening chapters of Genesis to be what they call mytho-history, meaning that it's a fable utilized to teach a truth. There are so many ways that even the professing church is twisting and distorting the Word of God or blatantly altogether ignoring the Word of God. And to what end do they do this? to the applause of fallen man. They are, in fact, fighting against the evils that they see in the world from a foundation that looks almost identical to the foundation that fallen man has built his religion upon, his false religion upon. They are trying to take God's word and make it fit, especially in things of creation in these early chapters in Genesis. They're trying to make it fit into an anti-Christian, anti-biblical foundation upon which this false religion of man is built. There are only two religions. There are only two foundations. There's religion built upon God's truth, and there's man's religion built upon man's false beliefs and lies. And we will always find ourselves in a losing battle if we give up the foundation of truth. We will always find ourselves in a losing battle. There are those who say you can't reach, you should unhitch from the Old Testament. Why does Andy Stanley say this? Because he doesn't feel like he can reach the lost with the truth of God's word. So we're going to give that up. 
and argue from a secular standpoint to try and get people to see that they have a need for Christ? My need for Christ comes from the opening three chapters of Genesis. Christ is declared to me in the opening three chapters of Genesis. Arthur Pink, referring to Genesis, which I'll remind you once again, some say is fable, some call for us to unhitch ourselves from it. Arthur Pink says that Genesis is rightly termed the seed plot of the Bible. He states that it contains in or has in germ form, the seed form, almost every great doctrine which is fully developed in scriptures of the Bible which follow after it. He says in Genesis, and this is just a partial list of what he says. In Genesis, God is revealed to be the creator God. We have a hint in Genesis, the first hint of the Trinity. Man is exhibited in Genesis. The wiles of Satan are exposed in Genesis. The truth of sovereign election is first brought forward in Genesis. Salvation is displayed in types and pictures in Genesis. Justification by faith is first made known in Genesis. The believer's security is illustrated for us in Genesis. Prayer is brought into our understanding in Genesis. The divine incarnation is declared in Genesis. Just a few of the things, of the great biblical doctrines that we have. We also learn such things as purpose, consequences, rebellion, enmity, gender, marriage, work, submission, headship, human dignity, and the value of life we find here. We learn about death. We learn about wrath. So much. So many more things we learn about life here in Genesis. So much that we learn that is absolutely foundational to our understanding of what God has designed life to be, how life is to be lived, and what he has provided in light of the fall that occurs here in these opening chapters. It's for this reason that I pray that God will bless our church as we look at Genesis. In particular, we'll look at Genesis 1 through 11, and we'll see where we go after that, whether we continue on in Genesis or whether we go to another portion of Scripture. But Moses here, who is the author of Genesis, he is the human author of Genesis. There is a divine author of Genesis. This was given to Moses as they wandered in the wilderness directly from God to be written for our benefit, for our understanding, and for our foundation. But Moses here at the outset records for us what is given to him by God for the purpose of God revealing himself to mankind. 
Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This truly is a Genesis, a beginning worthy of the one true author of this historical narrative. This verse alone, Genesis 1.1, has a universe of meaning. It answers for us by implication all of those questions that you learned in school as a child when your teacher would ask you on a book report or in some sort of report, I want you to tell me the what, when, why, where, and how. All of it answered in the first verse of Genesis. We find no argument here. There is no apologetic for this. There is no mere suggestion There's no hint and there is no ambiguity. It is nothing at all except a bold, affirmative declaration that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, not in another time, not in another world. There's no suggestion here that there is another time wherein God created another world and created the angels and the angels fell and he destroyed that world and then it was in a state of chaos. There is no indication of that here when compared to what scripture declares to be truth. This, this is the beginning. This is the beginning. This is the genesis. This is the start. This is the very beginning of time. In fact, until this point, when God begins to create, when he purposes to create, there was no such thing as time. All there was was eternity. There was no such thing as time. This was before anything was. Before anything was created, there was eternity. Up until this point, up until this beginning, there was nothing. There was no universe. There was no matter. There was no heaven. There was no earth. There was no air. There was no water. There was no land. There was no birds because there was no air in which they could soar. There was no fish in the sea because there was no sea in which they could they could swim and there was no beast that could walk upon the land because there wasn't land upon which it could move there was nothing absolutely nothing there was no man there was no angel there was no day there was no night there was nothing Brothers and sisters, this first verse of God's word recorded by Moses not only lays out the doctrine of creation, but it lays out the very foundation for each and everything that follows in the Old Testament. It lays out the the foundation for absolutely everything. And it sets that foundation against all false religion At the very outset, it declares that what follows is the start, the genesis of everything that we see, touch, taste, hear, and smell, and everything that we can't 
see, touch, taste, hear, and smell that God's word reveals to us is in existence. This beginning is not an easy thing to grasp. It's not easy to understand with our finite minds a true beginning. And what is before that beginning is even harder to grasp. As we have stated, before there was, before this beginning, there was nothing. There was nothing but God. Nothing but God. It is here that we are introduced to the only being in existence prior to the beginning. In the beginning, God. When nothing else existed, He was. It's no accident that God is the subject of the very first verse of Scripture. In fact, He dominates this whole first chapter of Genesis. The, the, the Hebrew word here that is used is used over 30 times. This Hebrew word for God is used over 30 times in this first chapter. He is without a doubt the subject of the very beginning. This passage, this whole Bible, all of Scripture is about Him and His revelation of who He is and what He is doing and what He will ultimately do. In the beginning, there was nothing but God. Let that sink in for just a moment. This is what Aristotle reasoned in his pondering of existence and movement. That there must be, by evidence of what Aristotle saw, and then logically moving through that, there is something that must first be if there is something. And he called this the unmoved mover or the uncreated creator, the uncaused cause. He realized that for something to be, there must be something who is not acted upon by an outside force or an outside power. That this being, this whatever it is that existed, must have being in and of itself with dependence upon nothing else but itself. This being must be self-existent. But he fell short of understanding who and what God, the God, the one true triune God is. It is clear that Aristotle paid no attention to Scripture. Where it is that God reveals himself to man at the beginning. At the beginning, God answers the question that plagued all man-centered philosophers throughout all these different eras. He tells Moses, while Moses and God's people were wandering through the wilderness, surrounded by pagan worship of false gods and their false religion and false notions of creation, 
he tells Moses to record this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He sets the record straight and he declares the truth of creation from the very first words of Scripture. Here in Genesis 1.1 is the foundation for all truth and all theology. Here is the first building block in the foundation of all that man is to understand about God. That he, God, alone has being. He is derived from nothing. He has no need of outside preservation. All fullness is in his own Godhead. There is nothing lacking. He just is. This is the God that Scripture declares for us. This is what God's people have been shown that He is, that He, that God Himself has revealed to us, and that we are called to believe. This is revealed truth, the religion which is of God, not the religion which is of man. Psalm 90 records for us the prayer of Moses. And what does Moses say? In Psalm 90, verse 2, he says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He understood he understood God revealing. And, and what God was saying when he started to reveal himself to mankind here in Genesis 1.1, from everlasting, he is the self-existent God, creator of all that is. The writer of Psalm 93 says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty, the Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. The psalmist understands what flows out of this foundation that is built upon Genesis 1.1. God, Elohim, that Hebrew word that is used for God, was already there in the beginning. He is from everlasting. No matter how the floods of sinful man rebel against this, no matter how, men, how much men gnash their teeth and lift up their voices against him, no matter how much they roar in opposition to him and his revealed truth, he is mightier than their thundering. His decrees, his revelations 
His revelation of himself are not just trustworthy, they are very trustworthy. And holiness befits his house forevermore. In the beginning he was there. He was from everlasting. He is the creator God. In Isaiah 57, the prophet Isaiah announces a word from God. And listen to how he declares the one who gave him this word to speak. Isaiah 57, 17. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite heart and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God, who gave the prophet a word to speak, a word of revelation, this prophet called him the one who inhabits eternity. This is the one who existed before the beginning, before creation. Eternity always has been his dwelling place. Now there's something beautiful that we will see a picture of here pretty soon that comes out of this, this, this prophecy of Isaiah as well, that eternity is not just his dwelling place. He also will be dwelling with those of a contrite spirit, a contrite heart. Isaiah again, in Isaiah 40, 28 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He is everlasting. His time is without limit. As we read here in Genesis 1.1, He created time. When He chose to create and through His creation, there was, when there was something other than Himself that He created, that's when time began. But He is something altogether different. He is this creator of the ends of the earth is the Lord, the everlasting God. Unmade, unfashioned, self-existing, eternal God. Do you see what is meant here in this first verse and what we can take from it? God who was in the beginning and goes on to create had no creator. He just is. He has in himself the, this, this character, this trait of being. He himself is the being. This is exactly what Genesis 1-1 directs us to. Boyce says, James Montgomery Boyce, this first great matter of the Bible, the one related most directly to our origins, is God who has no beginning at all, 
He is the first subject mentioned. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then Boyce goes on to say, we may want to bring him down into our little microscope where we can examine him and subject him to the laws of matter, of cause and effect, which we can understand. But fret as we might, God does not conform to our desires. He confronts us as the one who was in existence before anything we can imagine and who will be there after anything we can imagine. Ultimately, it is he alone with whom we have to do. And in the beginning, what is it that God does? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. He creates. This word here in the original Hebrew is a word that draws our attention to the fact that creation is only really possible with God. It is the, it, this word for create is only used in Scripture when it, when it relates to God creating whether it's God creating things, God creating people, or God creating circumstances. But this is only used, this word for create is only used in relation to God. And truly, this is the case. Look around you and see. Think to times when you've sat somewhere and you've just looked at what we see of creation and the awesomeness of it. The majesty of the mountains, the depth of the ocean, the vastness of the universe. For all this to exist, there must be the creator God who is more majestic than the highest mountain. Whose finger as it were, can plumb the deepest depths of the deepest sea and whose arms can span the vastness of the universe. What does our view of what God created tell us? Well, it speaks to the fact that it is too ordered, it is too majestic, it is too vast, it is too deep, it is too high, it is too wide, and it is too beautiful for it to be an accident. Or for a chance collision of nothing to bring about something. This is what even Aristotle understood. This is no evolutionary process, as we will probably take a look at in coming weeks. This that we see, creation and all it contains, is possible with nothing less than absolute and divine omnipotence. That's what it takes to create. Is it any wonder that creation and the power of creation is a theme that we run into throughout Scripture? Psalm 96.5 
says, For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. All the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Psalm 136, beginning in verse 2. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. Isaiah 37, 16, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Jeremiah chapter 10, the prophet says, it is he, verse 12 through 16, Jeremiah 10, 12 through 16. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols. For his images are false and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. And at the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like these is he whose por- who is the portion of Jacob, for he is the one who formed all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Jeremiah again in chapter 27, verse 5, he speaks the words of God given to him to record. And God says, it is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with all the men and animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Amos 4.13 says, For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. And it is to Job that the Lord answers. In Job 38, 1 through 3. When Job needed to see who it is 
that God is. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. God tells Job that Job's words, these complaints of Job throughout this book of Job, are without knowledge, so he is to prepare himself for action. God is going to ask Job some questions, and then he expects an answer. And in God's questioning of Job, God reveals truth, truth as we find it here in Genesis 1.1. In Job 38, 4-11, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its, on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shuts in the sea with doors when it bursts out from the womb? When I made clouds its garments and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus you, thus far shall you come and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. In his questioning of Job, he brings light to what we read in Genesis 1.1. Job, you weren't there. In the beginning. I was. In the beginning. Job. It was God who existed. And none else. It was God who laid the foundations. Of the earth. It was God who determined its expanse. It was God who laid it all out. And it was God who set the limits of the sea. Saying here's where you stop. Man does not have the ability to do this. Man, who the evolutionist states, is the highest order of being. Evolved after billions of years, the evolutionist would say. After billions of years, has, has evolved into this highest of order of being. The highest of the evolutionary process. He himself, though, has not attained, nor will the creature ever attain, obtain the power to create in the way that God creates. Never happen. Everything that man creates, and ponder this throughout this week, everything that man creates, he does so with what already exists. The sculptor takes what already is and he forms it or chips away at it into what he has seen or a combination of those things which he has seen and observed. The painter takes what already is and forms it into something with which he can paint 
He'll take a stick or he'll take a carved piece of wood and some hair and he'll put them together and make something with which he can paint. And he'll take some matter from the earth here and mix it with some other type of matter that already exists and create a paint. And then he will take uh, the skin of an animal or, or, uh, or cotton from the field that already exists and he'll make it into something which he can place that paint upon with that brush that he has made and call it a creation. But all it is, is taking something which already exists, putting it together, and portraying it as something which he has already seen or imagined out of what he has already seen and experienced. There is no actual creation that takes place. I can say that my grandfather and my dad came in here and they created this beautiful staircase. They didn't create anything. They fashioned that which is already created. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said, To create requires infinite power. All the world cannot make a fly. Infinite power is needed to create something. And you take all the power in the world and it can't make one of the smallest creatures that God spoke into existence. Man has not the power to create. He does not will anything into existence out of nothing. Yet this is how this eternal, self-existent, sovereign God creates. He creates out of nothing by his will, by his power, and by and through his word. We will see that as we look further into this. Paul makes an amazing statement in Romans where he calls our attention to this. In Romans 4.17, Paul writes, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls, listen to this, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. God alone has the power to create and to call into existing that which does not exist. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11.3, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. In other words, there was nothing that God used to create what we now see. He doesn't create in the way that man creates. It was created by the one and only triune God with which we are introduced in Scripture to here in Genesis 1.1. And what we have here in Genesis 1.1 is a witness to creation. Man was not there to witness it. God has revealed to us through the truth of his word, who created, how it was created, what was created, 
when it was created, and eventually why it was created. Man was not there until the sixth day of creation. Therefore, God had to reveal this to us that we may know and understand. He alone, God alone is the eyewitness to creation. So what are we to do with this? What now are we to do with this? We're to believe it. And we're to worship in light of it. Matthew Henry states that the world was thus framed out of nothing, out of no pre-existent matter, contrary to the received maxim that out of nothing, nothing can be made, which, though true of created power, of power that exists in those who have been created or what has been created, though that maxim is true of that, it can have no place with God who can call things that are not as if they were and command them into being. These things we understand by faith. The Bible gives us the truest and most exact account of the origin of all things and we are to believe it and not to rest or run down the scripture account of creation because it does not suit with some fantastic hypothesis of our own, which has been in some learned but conceited men, Matthew Henry says, the first remarkable step toward infidelity and has led them into many more. See, this is the problem that we face today. That instead of worshiping and falling down on our faces before this great God that has revealed himself to us and has declared his great works, many are running away from the scriptural and truthful account of creation or twisting it to make it mesh with man's hypothesis, man's religion. And that has led one step right after another step toward a denial of scriptural truths and away from the God who truly and powerfully created the world by his word. Out of nothing. And who is this word with which he created the world? Well, John tells us in the beginning, in the beginning, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the triune self-existent, omnipotent, omniscient God alone. And he created. Do you see why we can't unhitch from this? 
why it is you, you can't just love Jesus and forget about his revelation of who he is. Just love Jesus. Don't worry about the Old Testament stuff. That's what a lot of churches are saying today. Do you see how this, even this very first verse of Scripture is at the very core of faith's foundation? Oh, that we would look up and fear God. That we might see Him as He revealed Himself to be. Even from the very beginning where God created the heavens and the earth. That we might see him in light of this and cry out as Isaiah said the seraphim cry out. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What does this vision do? What is, what is the revelation when we catch a glimpse of this revelation of who this God is, what does it do? Well, it brought Isaiah to his knees in awe and wonder at the God who rules and reigns over all things. And he didn't have any words but woe is me. For I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah caught a glimpse of this God that is revealed to us in Genesis 1.1. And may we be as Job at the end of all God's questioning that he brought before Job. Job responded in Job 42, saying, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel with that knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful, me, which I, wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and, you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you. By the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now my eyes see. You are God. You are the creator. This was right after the passage in Job we read earlier. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations? You are the God. You are the creator. You are the sovereign. Job says, I am nothing. What is man? What is man? Isaiah says of the Lord in Isaiah 42, 5, Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people, and spirit to those who walk in it. If you have heard this word, if you have heard this word, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you want to twist it and distort it or deny the truth of it, 
then you are guilty of nothing less than cosmic treason and theft. Theft against your creator who gives you the very breath that you breathe. What did he do to Adam? What did he do when he formed him? He breathed into him life. The very air we breathe, this life-giving air is from God who created all things, who created the heavens and the earth. Will you use this breath for blessing God as he declares himself to be or for cursing your maker and denying his revelation? You see, this is the problem. Scripture shows us from its first ten words that this God is sovereign and shows us that men are but mere creatures of the Creator, and they rebel against that. And so we, the church, we, the body, we, God's people, must stand in the truth against the rebellion. We must stand with no compromise, stand firm, on the truths that this sovereign God has declared to us through his word. This is our foundation. And we must not remove part of that foundation or the whole thing collapses. Look at our society today. Look at the church today and look at the way the professing church is collapsing. Why? Because they have no foundation to stand upon. They've chipped away and chipped away at that foundation of truth to be more acceptable to the world. God will not be mocked. The Creator will rule over His creation. And woe to any who stand and oppose him and what he has revealed. Judgment will come. Oh, that we may be found faithful in that day. Let's pray. Lord, bless your word. Lord, bless, bless your word in our hearts, in our minds. Lord, make it powerful to us. Lord, give us cause to meditate upon it all the day, all the night. Lord, may we desire to know it more fully. And in knowing your word more fully, know you. Be drawn towards you. Seek to glorify and honor you. And to enjoy you. Be with each one here until we meet again. 
to gather together again to worship and to praise and adore you for who you are. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.